Well, welcome to our broadcast today on the wonderful words of life. God bless you as we get into the Word of God. Amen. Uh, the psalmist declares this, But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more, and my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. O oh God, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. Well, praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and do that right now. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. We bless you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and for your mercy that is over all of your works. Father, I thank you that you have made us. You have worked in us. Amen. It is you that works in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. And so, Father, we're so thankful today for everything that you've done for us what you're doing for us even now and what you will do for it. Father, our future is secure in your hands. And so we're so thankful, Father, for that. Now, Lord, we're just asking you now in the name of Jesus to enlighten us as we uh, study the word of God together and as we minister the word in Jesus' name, we ask you, Father God, to give us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And Father, we'll give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. We're, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and this chapter is concerning the uh, principles of Christian marriage. And the first section that we're going to be getting into is the section of marriage, divorce, and abandonment. But now we've gone through uh, chapter six, uh, cha rather chapter five and chapter six of First Corinthians, where uh, Paul really talked about sexual immorality. And to uh, summarize these two chapters, I just want to read a couple portion of scripture out of each chapter. Uh, the first scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Paul says, now, But now I have written to you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother, notice is called a brother, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one not, no, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not you judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore put away, notice that, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now the term put away is the Greek word exiaro, and it comes from two Greek words, ex, which means to lift up or to take, and aero, I think that's how you pronounce it, aero, which means to put away. So uh, we're not talking here about divorcing that person. We are talking about taking him and casting him out or excommunicating him from the congregation until he either repents or gets right with God. Amen. And uh, the reason why I picked out this portion of Scripture, because that's exactly what you and I are to do with sin. You know, we are the temple of the living God, and we're to put away sin in ourselves. And, of course, you know, uh, John said this. He says, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. And if, you see, if means not the rule, but the exception. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And he was made the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Isn't it um, uh, good to know, but it's also grieving to know that sinners today that have absolutely no care at all for Christ, they don't have any consideration for eternity, uh, you know, they, they, they don't, they're, they're not going to follow Christ. Matter of fact, they're, they have become enemies of Christ. Isn't it a shame that they live their entire life and they never come to the knowledge of the truth concerning the fact that Jesus paid for their sins on the cross? And all they have to do is receive Christ and they'll be born again. They'll be saved from the wrath to come. That's, to me, that's a, that's a great hope that we have when we preach the gospel, but it's also a grievance in our heart when we know that people that could be in heaven today are not because they would not accept God's sacrifice. Amen for sin. And then the other uh, portion of Scripture, this is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 9, 10, 11. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Notice verse 11. And such were some of you, but now, I put that in myself, but now you are washed. Now you are sanctified. Now you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul And this passage tells us both what we used to be, but what we are now. You're a born-again child of God. You have the Spirit of the living God living in you. Matter of fact, you've got the entire Godhead living in you. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. So we don't need to focus on what we were. We need to focus now on what we are. Amen. And we are the children of God. Amen. So I've just uh, picked out those two verses of Scripture to, uh, to lead up to what we're going to be talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, the, we saw the problems in the Corinthian church with sin, sexual immorality, things like that. Well, this is Paul's answer now to the church concerning uh, the alleviation of sin within the church. Now, notice he says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, Now, Concerning the things whereof you wrote to me. Now, let's stop right there. Okay. So, a letter was written to Paul, and this is the beginning of Paul's answer to that letter. But now, Paul took six chapters previous to address situations that he received knowledge of concerning of things that were going on in the church. And the things were going on in the church because the leadership was not mature enough in leadership to be able to conduct that church and to live above uh, the strife and the evil that is in this world. And so um, Paul said to them, you have many, many teachers. He says, you have, a, you have thousands of teachers, but you don't have any fathers. In other words, we have a lot of zealousness, but not really according to knowledge. And, and that is true in our case today, isn't it? Okay, now, Paul says this, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. In other words, it's good for a man not to have any type of sexual contact with a woman. And I found this out to be true. Men, the only women, the only uh, woman that we make personal contact with, the only woman that we touch is our wife. 
we keep our hands off any other woman. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not talking about daughters and things like that. It's just good for us not to have any type of contact, but Paul specifically here is talking about sexual contact. Nevertheless, verse 2, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. You know, in order to avoid the sin of sexual immorality, uh, a man and a woman, they ought to get married. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hey, that's so true. That is so true. But you see, the, 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 let's, uh, let's talk for just a moment here about the environment that this letter was written in. In the city of Corinth, and this is also found in Greek culture, uh, men would have multiple wives. They, you know, as, as, as uh, I guess it would be dependent upon uh, uh, how rich the, the man was, but as to how many wives he would have, but he would have bit, but men would have multiple wives. Of course, there were some men that just had one wife, and I say praise God for that. But uh, multiple wives were in the household, and they were each one was given certain duties. But now, sexual uh, union was not necessarily a prime condition of marriage in those days, and the reason why is because uh, the man would go down to the temple. And he would eat and drink, and then he would have uh, sexual pleasure. Uh, matter of fact, the, the temple of Aphrodite had somewhere upwards of a thousand uh, prostitutes that served the temple, both male and female. And uh, it is said that uh, uh, the city of Corinth gained great wealth from the temple. So that's, uh, that's pretty sad. And also, uh, another note is that the temple was a, a ward of the city. The city government, state. Amen. That, that's, that's why you and I need to oppose the government getting involved in these types of social uh, relationships. So we, don't, we don't need the government telling us what we can and what we can't do when it comes to marriage. And I know that they have. And I tell you, we, we are in a tremendous mess today because the government decided that they knew more about uh, marriage and divorce and remarriage than what the Bible does. And you see the mess that we're in today. All right, verse 2 again. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Now, verses 3, 4, and 5 are talking about the relationship of the husband and the wife in the bedroom. Let the husband wonder unto the wife do benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud you not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now, I think this principle should be followed by every Christian marriage. And for the husband or the wife to defraud uh, their partner, their marriage partner of sexual union, creates a tremendous frustration and, and strain upon uh, the marriage. And uh, But now the husband, you're the one that needs to initiate this. You, you know, you, you're the one that needs to initiate the rules in the bedroom. 
And if your wife starts complaining and if she starts griping and she starts uh, nagging you, then, then you better listen to what she has to say because I'm telling you, she's not doing that because she wants to. She's doing that because her needs are not being met. And so you need, you need to be aware of that. Don't just pass her off and don't just say, oh, you're just an old nag. Don't you be doing that. You take it to heart. Amen. Her love tank is empty and you're the one his responsibility it is to fill that tank up. Praise God. Amen. Well, glory to God. All right. Verse six. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another, and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn or to be aflame with passion that leads to sexual sin. So that's why, uh, wives, if you're defrauding your husband, you may drive him into the arms of another. And I know he'll be guilty, but you'll be at fault also. So you make sure that husband and wife, you give each other their due benevolence. Amen. Praise God. All right. Now, one other thought here. Verse 8, a lot of people think verse 8, or let me say it this way. Many scholars think that Paul was married based upon this verse, verse 8. Notice he says, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Notice he said to the unmarried, but he also said to the widows. And there is evidence in the Bible that Paul may have been married. And the reason being is that uh, in Acts 26 and verse 10, Paul mentioned that when he dried Christians up before the court to have them condemned to death, that he cast his lot or he cast his vote uh, for them to be put to death. Well, the only people that can vote were members of the Sanhedrin. And notice that the persecution that Paul enjoined uh, or instigated was in Jerusalem. And so there's, uh, you know, there's uh, credible circumstantial evidence that Paul at one time had been married and either uh, his wife maybe left him after he had received Christ or maybe she had passed away one or the other. And so I think that Paul knew knew somewhat about marriage uh, based upon his own experience. And I think that's something for us to think about. Uh, verse 10, all right, now, this is a direct command. It's not just a direct command from the Apostle Paul. It's a direct command from the Lord Jesus himself. Notice what he says in verse 10 and 11. And unto the married I command... Yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Now, in these two verses, Paul forbids divorce. And he forbids it on the grounds that Jesus forbade it. Well, you know as well as I do that... Uh, that there are many Christian believers, and you may be listening to this broadcast, that you've been divorced maybe once, maybe twice. I have family members that have been married, you know, three, sometimes four times. And they're, they're, they have died, and they're in heaven today. But now they, they've had to stand before the Lord Jesus, and they've had to give an account for that. So the ideal is this, is that you find a wife, 
you find a good thing and you obtain favor in the Lord and you do whatever you have to do in the love walk of the Lord Jesus to keep your marriage alive, to keep it functioning and for it to last your entire life. And anything less than that, and I know there's extenuating circumstances, and there's always extenuating circumstances, and I know that there's some areas where people have had to get a divorce. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about concerning things that the, the way they are today, the amount of divorce within Christian ranks today. That is abominable. And, uh, and I know that divorce is on the decrease, but the, the reason for that is because marriage is on the decrease. You know, there's not as many people getting married today as there used to be. They just decide that they're, they're going to love one another and shack up and, and begin to live with one another and don't even bother to get married. And I know for a lot of uh, people, that's, there's a financial reason why they do that, but that doesn't mean it's right. Amen. If we're believers in Christ Jesus, then we need to obey the dictums of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if Christ forbade divorce, Amen. Then we need to forbid it. And that's all I'm going to say on the subject. Okay. Verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away or divorce her. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him or divorce him. Now, notice verse 14. This is probably, in this chapter, one of my favorite, or probably is the favorite verse. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Think about that. Well, why is the unbelieving husband sanctified by the wife? Because the wife is born again, and that means Christ is in the home, and that means that Christ can bless that home because she's a believer. And not only because she is the believer, her children are blessed. They're covered. Notice what Paul says, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Isn't that amazing? They're set apart for God. In other words, they're acceptable to God. God can work with those children. God can bless them and raise them up, amen, to be children of God. I think that's a wonderful verse of Scripture. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. I want you to notice now, in these verses that we've read, it is the unbeliever who departs, not the believer. Now, there are some times where the believing wife has to flee the house because the unbelieving husband has become vile and abusive and has threatened her. And I certainly understand that. Amen. You need to get out of there. If your husband strikes you or hits you, then you need to leave. And you need to make that, make that understood at the very beginning. You lay a hand on me and I'm gone. Verse 16, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Notice that. Amen. Well, there's always the possibility in there that the unbelieving husband will wind up getting born again, or the unbelieving wife will wind up getting born again. Amen. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Praise God. All right, verse 17. This is uh, principles for abiding in the call of God. This is also 
principles and counseling concerning uh, marriage. We're going to continue here. But as God hath distributed to every man, verse 17, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so are ordained in all the churches. In other words, don't jump ahead of God. Don't get out in front of God. You wait on the Lord. Amen. And this is pertaining to our newfound walk in Christ. Verse 18, if any man call, is any man called being circumcised, let him not become uncircumcised. In other words, uh, you a Jew and you got born again? Well, don't try to become a Gentile. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Is any called to Christ through salvation? Amen. And uncircumcised. In other words, you're a Gentile, you got born again, well, don't try to become a Jew. Why is that? Because circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. We have Christ in our heart and life now. We don't need to follow these type of rituals in order to be born again. We're already born again. Amen. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Now, Paul gives some examples here. Are you called being a servant? Don't care for it or don't let it trouble you. But if you may be made free or if you can obtain your freedom, go ahead and do it. Amen. So what Paul is saying here is that don't get out ahead of God and start changing your life because you've gotten saved. You abide in Christ. You allow Christ to deal with your heart and life. He's the one that's your master now. He'll tell you what to do. You just stay where you're at. Stay put. Don't jump out ahead of God. I I know of people who have done that. They've gone off half-cocked, thought they were doing the will of God, and they messed up. They messed up terribly. Amen. You just wait on the Lord. The Lord will show you what to do, and he'll, He'll lead your life. Amen. Praise God. Now, verse 23 says this, Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men. In other words, sinners, that's what they do. They serve men. Amen. But now uh, that sinner comes to Christ and he's born again. So he has a new master. He's serving Christ. And part of his serving Christ is, is being a servant of the love of God. Amen. In other words, what Paul is saying is that Christ is your master. You start looking to him and he'll help you out. Praise the Lord. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called abide therein, abide with God. Amen. And I just think that's good advice. Now, concerning uh, the unmarried and concerning those who are virgins who have pledged to be married. Notice what Paul says. Now, concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. Now, why would Paul use this term, present distress? Well, he's speaking in terms of the mess that's going on in Corinth. And it was getting worse every year. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And let me tell you something, that the licentiousness that was in Corinth is in the United States of America today. And we have to ask ourselves a question. How much worse can it get? Is this type of sin and darkness going to continue? And it all started back with the sexual revolution in the 60s. And we see where we're at today because of it. If this present distress continues, you know what it's going to do? It's going to bring down this country. It's going to bring down the house. And I don't think God's going to allow that. I think God is listening 
and he's receiving the prayers of the church and he's going to answer those prayers. I think he's answering those prayers right now. Amen. The United States of America, I truly believe, is going to fall one day, but it's not going to fall until it has finished and accomplished its mission uh, to the world and after the church has been taken out. Amen. I, I do believe that. Praise God. So that's my hope. My hope is in God. It's not in government. It's not in our president. It's not in our legislature and our government. My, our hope should be in Christ and Christ alone. So once again, verse 26, I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress, I say, that it is good for a man so to be, to remain unmarried. Amen. Are thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Are thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. Oh, I tell you what, after almost 50 years of marriage, I can certainly know that verse 28 is true. Uh, we bought many a battles. You know, we loved one another. We were excited when we got married. But you know, the next 40, the rest of, the, of our time together in marriage, we have had to learn how to love one another. And I tell you, that's, that takes a long period of time. Uh, it takes a long time to learn one another. Amen. But, uh, but we've had a very good marriage, a very happy marriage, and uh, very, very pleased and very thankful that Christ has been in our home uh, to bless our home and to bless our marriage. Amen. All right, verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Paul says the time's short, and he's speaking uh, concerning the second coming of Christ, that the church will be raptured. The day of wrath will be ushered in, and then Christ is going to return, is going to set up his millennial kingdom. Amen. And then every man will be judged according to his works. Praise God. So with this in view, we're not to put anything. We're not to put husband, wife, circumstances, tragedies, entertainments, hobbies, business. We're not to put anything before the service of the Lord because he is our master. And I know there are wives that have cast away their confidence in the Lord because they would much rather have the, the, uh, the praise of their unbelieving husband than their praise of Christ and vice versa. And uh, that is not what God would have us to do. So if you're in a home and if you're married to a man or you're married to a woman that is not a Christian and, and you're a Christian, your home is blessed because of you. Don't leave. Amen. You pray and you, you satisfy the needs of your husband or your wife, but you, you do, you obey Christ first and don't allow your husband or your wife to do things that you know uh, God would not be pleased with. Amen. You be that good witness in the home and uh, just believe God that, uh, that your wife or your husband is going to come to the Lord. Amen. Just put him into the hands of God and things will be okay. All right. Now to finish out this chapter. But I would have you without free from concern. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. 
There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And that's just uh, that's just good common sense. And this I speak for your own good, not that I cast or not put a restraint upon you, but for that you may live, which is calmly, or that you may live in a right way and may attend to the Lord undivided in devotion to him. But if any man think that he behaves himself untoward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and needs so require, let him do what he will. He sins not, let them marry. In other words, don't you allow, amen, uh, don't you allow your, the, the woman or the, the girl that you are engaged to, uh, don't you defraud her. If she wants to be married, then, then in order for you to keep that relationship, you go ahead and get married. Nevertheless, he that standeth fast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he that gives her in marriage does well, but he that gives her not uh, in marriage doth better. Now, this can also apply to a father who has a virgin, who is pledged to a man, but he will not allow the the daughter uh, because she doesn't want to be married at that point. He won't allow his daughter to consummate the marriage. Uh, and, but maybe there's a time come where she wants to be married. Well, then, Father, you need to go ahead and let her do that. Amen. And then, of course, the last two verses, and we'll end right here. Finally, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide, and after my judgment, I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So that's just good teaching on marriage and in the family home. Heavenly Father, bless uh, those that have heard this message today and carry the Word of God into our hearts, and we'll give you thanks for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.